The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Before we get started with today's episode, I'd like to take a moment and share a word from our sponsor. Body Rappers' Angela Luzio is happy to be the proud sponsor of the Premier Dance Network. Body Rappers' Angela Luzio is known for its fine total stretch tights and Angela Luzio shoes. Tyler Peck, principal dancer with the New York City Ballet, is its spokesperson and designer of Tyler Peck Designs for Premier. It takes a dancer who wears a leotard all day to know what is best in a leotard. So Tyler's beautiful original leotard designs fit perfectly, are ideal for class, rehearsal, or performance, and move well with the body won't ride up in the back. Body Wrappers makes additional apparel for all types of dance that includes ballet, jazz, modern, lyrical, hip-hop, tap, team, liturgical, performance wear for competition and recital, as well as Angela Luzio shoes. You may view all the products at www.bodywrappers.com or to purchase Tyler Peck designs by Body Wrappers, go to dancewearcorner.com or your favorite online dance apparel retailer for all their products. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pod to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-monthly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I'm happy to share my 16 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Hello, everybody, and happy Friday. I feel like spring has finally arrived. It's getting warm outside in New York City. I'm taking my Claritin because I can just Imagine what it's going to be like in a few weeks as some of the the trees and flowers are starting to blossom. Uh, it's been a really long winter, I feel, so it's it's nice for it to finally uh, start to change. Um, so no complaints there. I'll take my allergy medication and just deal with the sniffles and sneezes so that we can at least have some nice weather and some more light and other things like that. Uh, let's see announcements for this week. So uh, I really, I mean, I don't feel like I have a ton of new ton of new announcements, but uh, I wanted to let you guys know that I'm starting a Mailchimp newsletter uh, where I'll be sending out information on my choreography and my company as it develops, and also just like different classes and workshops I'll be teaching. So if you are interested in being in on that newsletter, you can send me your email either via my social media channels, or you can go uh, to my website, www.barrycorollis.com, and you can send me a message on my contact page uh, with your email address so that I can keep you in the loop on, on things. Um, just had so many people lately asking me like, oh, uh, when, when you have classes or, oh, you had a show with your choreography. I really wanted to, to check that out. I wish I had known. Um, so I'm going to try to get a little bit more on top of that and create maybe like a monthly newsletter, who knows, something like that. 
Uh, other than that, I my regular classes are happening at Broadway Dance Center. We're in the final few weeks of our Absolute Beginner Workshop. And just got some good news. I will have summer classes on Saturdays at Broadway Dance Center. Um, I will be teaching, I think we're going to do an advanced beginner ballet class at 10.30 a.m. on Saturdays uh, starting June 15th. And then immediately following that at noon, I will run an intermediate contemporary class. So contemporary is back at Broadway Dance Center with me uh, if you're interested in getting in on that. Um, and yeah, also, I just want to let you guys know that I, I do have some availability for summer master classes. Uh, so if anybody is interested in having me come out to teach ballet or contemporary or partnering or uh, anything, choreography classes, things like that, um, please feel free to reach out to me. Okay. Uh, last thing, I, I have a performance on Saturday. I think it's April 27th. It's funny. I keep on turning to one of my dancers and she keeps on correcting me. But I believe it's April 27th. I, I have a piece going in the Steps Performance Lab at Steps on Broadway. It shows at 8 p.m. Uh, and I'm really excited to be showing as a part of this. Joe Land Terry from New York City Dance Alliance just took over as executive director of Broadway Dance Center. And he's bringing a lot of uh, a lot of new excitement to the organization. So I'm excited to be uh, part of their first performance lab since he's taken over. So yeah, that's all that. All right, so I was riding the train yesterday and I asked one of my friends, uh, I was like, do you have any ideas for podcasts? And it's funny because <laughs> it was like I was struggling for a couple of minutes to come up with an idea. And then as soon as I texted her, I had an idea. And she sent me and I she sent me her own idea and I was like, oh actually I already I already know what I'm doing. So <laughs> that's what it's like to be a friend of mine. Uh but yeah, so I, I thought this this week I would talk about bloopers and stage mishaps that I've experienced during my career. And these aren't necessarily just like things that have happened directly to me, um, but things that have happened when I've been like on stage or backstage that I've I've watched other people experience. Um, when I was at Pacific Northwest Ballet, at the end of every season, we would have a uh, end of the season party at the the Phelps Center, which is where we rehearsed. They would have like a some like a either a buffet or dinner, or they would have food catered, and we would sit in the studio and we would the, the Peter Ball would talk about like the year and like what we accomplished and. He had this thing where he would always tell us like numbers uh, of different things, like 40 people it took to put this costume or these costumes together for this new production or like $500,000 is how much we went over our uh, expected fundraising, like things like that. Uh, those aren't real statistics, just things that I'm making up. But so he would do that and then they would honor anybody that was leaving the organization, whether they were dancers or people in like costume shop or stage crew or things like that uh but the highlight of that party at the end of every year was the blooper reel um which the stage manager was responsible for putting together so pnb they they filmed every single performance that we did um sometimes they were close up sometimes they were further away but one thing that the stage manager would do is they would keep a note of any time that anything went wrong on stage in a book. And at the end of the year, they would put together a reel of all of these bloopers 
so that we could all have a good laugh. Now, granted, I mean, if somebody like fell over and got hurt, that would not be included in the blooper reel because it wasn't really funny if somebody had to miss like months of their career because they like sprained something or tore something. So it was never anything malicious like that or anything that you would see like, what was the name of that network? There was, there was like a was it Spike TV. Is that like the man network on cable television here in the US? Um, <laughs> it wasn't anything like that. It was always in good fun. Uh, but yeah, so that was always the highlight of the year. And I thought that it might be fun to kind of share some, uh, I know I can't like present you videos of these things, but to talk about them could be very fun. So, okay. I'm going to start off with one of my favorites. Uh, and this one happened while I was on tour in Cleveland with Houston ballet. So I danced with Houston ballet for one year and we only went on tour to one place. It was in Cleveland, Ohio, which was kind of an interesting place. They have a really beautiful opera house out there, but like we stayed in a hotel and it was, it was interesting because most of the restaurants in downtown Cleveland closed. I don't know if it's still this way, but they would close at like seven or 8 PM. So we would finish dancing at like 10 o'clock at night and then we'd have like nowhere to eat. So I pretty much ate Subway like six out of seven days that we were on tour in, uh, in Cleveland. But yeah, so they had their own orchestra that played for us and we we showed up with our our sets and our dancers uh for Cinderella and I think it was opening night don't hold me to this I think it was opening night but Lauren Anderson who as I have stated before was the first black ballerina in a major ballet company in the United States um that's no hate on Misty I I have great appreciation for Misty, but I'm just putting that out there. But yeah, so Lauren Anderson was Cinderella and I was dancing in the core, uh, in the waltz, the waltz at the ball. And the, there's, there's a moment. So, okay, we're waltzing, we're waltzing, we're waltzing. And, uh, we all turn up stage to look as the carriage enters the stage with Cinderella in it. So, you know, like the Disney version where like the pumpkin turns into the carriage. Um, I don't remember if it happened exactly that way in Ben Stevenson's version. It was a long time ago. <laughs> it's like the first year of my career. But so uh, they, they, there had been some issues in the rehearsals with the carriage because the, there were four women, either apprentices or core dancers, in the front of the carriage. They were white horses and they were wearing these horse heads and they couldn't see left or right. And the platform that we could fit on the stage in Cleveland to that, that the carriage would come on was not as wide as the one that we used at in our home theater at the Wortham Center. So they were a little nervous because they were responsible for like bringing this carriage on stage, but they couldn't really see. So after the first like tech rehearsal, they actually had a crew member standing directly in front of them in the wing, kind of being like to the right, to the left, to the right, to the left. Um, and the carriage was, there was uh, a guy sitting at the front of the carriage with like a whip for the horses. And there were two people on the back of the carriage because they, uh, they would like, step off and open up the door for Lauren Anderson. And then of course, Lauren Anderson was in the middle. So I like in the carriage. Uh, so <laughs> something happened during this show and you could hear on stage cause you can actually talk in the wings. Most people don't realize this if they haven't been backstage in like a major opera house, but you can actually talk at like a normal voice backstage and nobody can hear you. Uh, so there was a crew member standing directly in front of the women that were dressed as these white horses 
And he was like to the left, to the right, forward, forward, forward. And we're standing there looking at this, like, and creating this magical moment for the audience. And all of a sudden you hear the crew member go to the left, to the left, to the left. And all of a sudden the back half of the carriage just falls off of the platform. (laughs) And it was, I mean, we hope that nobody got hurt, but it was like wildly comical. So (laughs) the, the guy with the whip falls off of the carriage because it's now tilted sideways. One of the people in the back uh, of the carriage jumps off and tries to pull it from the front, and the other one jumps off from the back, like off the platform, and tries to hold, push the carriage back onto the platform. Two of the horses... Well, no, sorry. One of the horses is standing like by herself in the front, and she can't see anything. She doesn't know what happened. And then there are two that are like trying desperately not to be crushed by the front of the carriage. And then there's another one like trying to push it back up. Uh, and one of the dancers turns to another of the dancers in the front, the one that was standing by herself. And she turns to her and she goes, Pamela, did you fall over? <laughs> Cause she couldn't see because she had like horse blinders on. Um, so you hear like the crew screaming and you see crew members like jumping behind the platform. And they finally like after, a good like five or 10 seconds of all of the core members on stage, like freaking out and the, comp- the, the conductor just like continuing the music as if nothing is happening. You have this beautiful, like magical music and all this crazy drama happening. <laughs> and finally, somehow they get it back onto the stage and they walk it, they are onto the platform and they walk it down to center stage. And granted it's a bit late now. Um, so the Prince has walked to the center of the stage where he's supposed to meet Lauren Anderson at Cinderella. And the conductor is slowing down, trying to draw the music. And so the, the person at the back of the carriage finally comes up and they open the back, they, they open the door so that Lauren can come out. And so you think that like things couldn't get much worse, but something happened like in the, the moment when the carriage turned sideways and Lauren's feet practically went over her head, her cape, had gotten caught on a part of the carriage. So when she went to go step out of the carriage, it almost like yanked her backwards. She didn't realize she was connected and attached. So she made a split second decision to just like run full force forward to like tear the cape off because it it had uh, Velcro on it. And it just like ripped off and because of the force of her like pulling away from it, she like went flying down stage into the prince's arms. And at this point, like we're all, everybody's okay. And we're just standing there facing her in the carriage. And I, I swear that you could see our shoulders like bouncing up and down because it was so ridiculous what had just happened. But Lauren just stared at the audience and her partner, I believe it was Dominic Walsh, who, uh, was the principal of the company, had his own company, Dominic Walsh Dance Theater down in Houston. Um, I think he looked at her and was like, Lauren, we need to walk off stage because she was in such shock as to what happened. Um, So yeah, that was like one of my very first introductions to bloopers in my professional life. It was a doozy. It was spectacular. And to make it even better, one of my friends was going to college in Erie, Pennsylvania, and she took the trip over to Cleveland so that she could see the show. And she was like, what happened? And I was like, you're lucky that's never happened before. <clears throat> so um, maybe that's why I've always been so obsessed with bloopers. It's always lots of fun. Um, nobody got hurt. So it was all okay. But yeah, okay. 
What else? One of my friends when I was at Pacific Northwest Ballet, Jessica Onspach, she was in the core. We were, she joined, she was an apprentice the first year I was in the company, and then she was in the core the rest of the time that I was there. So we kind of like grew up in the company together. Um, and she and I, like, we had like our own unique version of silly. And um, one thing that I loved about her was that she was really known for bloopers uh, she almost always ended up on the blooper reel at the end of every season. It was almost disappointing if she didn't. But yeah, so uh, I'm going to tell you about a few of her bloopers. Uh, one I actually wasn't in the company for, but they played it uh, the first year that I was in the company because it was Kent and Francie, our former directors, last year, and they wanted to play bloopers over the years. Um, and this is one of the best bloopers I've ever seen. So at the end of Swan Lake... Uh, at least at Pacific Northwest Ballet and Kent Stoll's version. There, I think there's like 24 swans, 26 swans. There's a ton of swans on stage. Um, and one of the last formations that they do is they run in a figure eight, one across another, across another, across another. So somebody stage left, runs, somebody stage right, crosses, then stage left, crosses, stage right, crosses, stage left, stage right. And they run at like full speed ahead with like swan arms um and it just like keeps on happening and this is like one of the leading up to like one of the biggest moments in the ballet and it was patricia barker and stunkle me love and patty barker was like the star of pnb she was like one of the people that gave pnb a name she had some of the most beautiful feet in the world she's currently the artistic director of royal new zealand ballet um but yeah, so patty barker was odette odile and stunkle me love was the the prince siegfried and it was the very end moment and she stands in susu and facing him and he stands with his leg out and his back leg out in tondu and they're kind of embracing each other while these swans like flock around them in this really intense amazing beautiful moment um and jessica was a professional division student she wasn't even in the company at this point and they're running and Somebody misfired during the show and they missed their hole to run through. And so what ended up happening was as Jessica tried to go through, this person hit them, which caused her to lose control and like spin out and slam into Patricia Barker and Stankomilov, knocking Patty off point. And all of the swans couldn't continue in their, their runs, and it was just a complete and total disaster. An amazing, hilarious disaster. Um, that was one thing. Also, there was a time during Nutcracker where Jessica misgaged her exit uh, during snow. She had, uh, <laughs> she had to do PK turns after the big crash in the snow scene and the music really picks up and she had done this role for for many many years but for some reason something happened and she was doing P her pk turns like flying to the wings and she misgaged her exit and she, her her arm caught the the netting of the wing and because she was going so fast her arms stayed her body went and her legs practically flipped over her head and she completely tore the wing in half um, yeah, like I said, she was really good at bloopers. Um, <laughs> another one, this one, they actually put in because she thought it was hilarious. And I mean, it, it sucked at the time, but Jessica had a really bad, uh, show of jewels, Balanchine's jewels. Uh, she danced in every act. Uh, she was one of our, our great core members and she danced in emeralds and rubies and diamonds. So she, 
danced in emeralds and then she went into rubies and something happened and her foot slipped out from underneath her and she fell. She got up quickly, no big deal. Things like that happen all the time. Um, so then she came in to do diamonds and she was doing a pique to arabesque where you kind of, you're in coupe and you step under yourself and you kick the leg out behind you. Um, and I guess she grombot mopped her back leg too quickly to uh, arabesque and her standing leg went out from underneath herself and she fell, but she didn't fall. She fell so hard that her head bounced off of the floor like a basketball. Um, she got up, continued dancing, and then she ran off, she ran off stage during the pas de deux and started crying and just heaving like, I'm going to throw up, I'm going to throw up, and like, uh, uh, and she actually didn't, and she somehow pulled herself together and was able to finish the performance. She ended up getting a major concussion and having to miss a few days of work after that. Um, but I've never seen somebody's head bounce on a floor like hers did. It was crazy. So yeah, there are more that I could share of Jessica, but those are three of my Jessica on Spock highlights. Thanks for for those memories, Jessica. Uh, what else? When I was dancing in Houston Ballet, the tree caught on fire during the the dress rehearsal for Nutcracker. Um, there were pyrotechnics and cannons and lots of things changing. And all I remember is being, uh, backstage and looking at the TV screen. I couldn't really see the fire, but all of a sudden you heard the director screaming, stop, stop. Cause they just kept on going on and the tree just like continued to, to go like catch on fire. Um, so he ended up ending rehearsal and they put it out, but it was, it was crazy because, if you think about it, like back in the day, how many ballerinas died because their costumes caught on fire? Like this was a thing at a certain in a certain period of time because the costumes were not uh they weren't fireproof and they used to kitty. My kitty wants to talk to all of you. Did you hear that? I don't know why. Why he's so chatty, but not right now, Psycho. My cat's name is Psycho, if you didn't know that. I'm a weird human being. Anyway, so back to, to that. So the these ballerinas would go up in flames if they got too close to the lights uh, or if they hit the candles. So it was, uh, it was a really, like, thinking of what it could have been or, like, back in the day how it would have functioned, that we probably would have had, like, the, the theater burned down but we were lucky things have changed a lot since that time um and nobody died that day so thank you houston ballet crew for keeping us from keeping us out of harm's way all right here's my own personal blooper i actually didn't have a ton of bloopers during my career i wasn't like a faller i wasn't really a forgetter of choreography um like, I think the worst things that happened to me would be, like, I fell out of a pirouette. I didn't really have too many major bloopers. I think I, I stood up early once uh, when everybody was still on their knee and I stood up. Uh, but, yeah, I wasn't really, like, a, a blooper person, um, which is very disappointing. But, <laughs> yeah, so there was one that – so this wasn't really my fault. And it wasn't, like, a complete blooper, but it was an onstage mishap. So uh, the when I was at Pacific Northwest Ballet, we did a Midsummer's Night Dream – Often, actually, I think that they're performing it in the next over the next two weeks. It's it's one of those ballets, Balanchine's A Midsummer's Night Dream, um, that comes back frequently. Um, so I was, I think it was my second second year that or second time that we had done it, and 
I was performing in the second acted divertisement. So there's this big group dance uh, followed by a pas de deux in the second act. Um, there's really no story to it. It's weird. Like the first act of Balanchine's Midsummer Night Dream has like a huge plot line and then it kind of completes itself. And the second act is just like, it's the wedding, but it's just like some strange celebration. Um, but yeah, so we would have to, like there was this entire entrance section where people would just like walk around. Um, and then, uh, the divertisements would run in for an entrance and then pause bower curtsy and then the the dance would start so i was like the i think i was the fourth couple that came out of six and it, what what happened was there was this uh wooden like overhang to the wing that was a part of the scenery and it was on the floor and something happened because when we would run out we'd run out really fast and it, either somebody kicked it or the wind of us running caused it to push forward. But for some reason, while I, when I ran past it, it decided to like slingshot back. And when it did that, it smacked me in my foot and almost broke my foot. Um, so yeah, we run out we go to a pose, we bow and curtsy, the music starts and then we dance really like challenging choreography, very like, puffy like hard to breathe choreography for the next i don't remember how long it was five to eight minutes um so i ran out and i was like oh it's broken and when i put my arm up to do to do the bow i took a deep breath and i remember just being like well we'll try it and if i can't i'll just find a way to like hop or crawl or hobble off stage um my adrenaline kicked in and I ended up making it through the dance, but my foot hurt so badly that I wasn't actually able to walk the next day. Um, but we had a few injuries at the time and, uh, Peter ended up calling me into to his office. I didn't think I'd be able to dance for a week or so. And he, he practically begged me to perform. Um, he asked me if I could go into one of the lower roles where they just like the people that actually walk on before the beginning of the, the divertisement dance um he asked if I could do that and I was like well I think I can walk I was like but I don't think I can point my foot or walk very well and he said well at this point I don't really care if you even point your foot I just need a person on stage so I ended up like barely like like walking with the mildest limp and not even trying to point my foot during that show um because as the saying goes the show must go on all right, I got a few more for you guys. Um, this was another one that uh, when I was in Houston Ballet, this doesn't relate to me, but when I was at Houston Ballet, uh, Patricia Neary, one, one of the famous Balanchine ballerinas, uh, one of the women who had work works choreographed directly on her by Balanchine, um, she was staging Apollo for the company. Uh, and I believe it was the Balanchine, yeah, it was the Balanchine Centennial. So, uh, we had a three different Balanchine ballerinas there at the time. And it was interesting to see like their different personalities. Pat, I've actually uh, become friendly with Pat. She takes class at, uh, 
West Side Dance, uh, West Side Ballet. What's the West Side School of Ballet? West Side Ballet School uh, in uh, Santa Monica. She takes cl- open class there regularly. And when I've danced in LA, that's where I go and take open class. So we've become acquainted. Um, but at the time, I didn't know her. And I thought she was like utterly bonkers. Uh, now I know she's just very witty and funny and sharp. Uh, but I thought that she was legit here. So she was uh, doing a tech rehearsal of... Apollo at the theater and something happened on stage and she went over the God mic. So that's the microphone that uh, if you're sitting in the audience, you can talk to the entire theater with it. So she went on the God God mic and they say it's the God mic because you can't see them because they're sitting in the dark, but you hear their loud booming voice. And she goes, stop, stop the music, stop the music. She's like, it's not right. It's not right. You're not on the right counts. And she goes, but give me a second. I need to ask Mr. Balanchine uh, what the counts are. And at the time, I think that, like, I legitimately thought that she meant that she was going to, like, she thought that she could talk to Balan, like, the spirit of Balanchine. But, like, in reality, I think that she was just, like, trying to figure out the counts, like, on her own, like, thinking what it was like when she learned it. So maybe she wasn't, like, speaking to the spirit of Balanchine. I think she was really just, like, thinking about her experience in the studio with Balanchine and what he would have said for the counts. So, um, that was kind of funny, kind of bloopery, but kind of not. Um, oh, here's one that I talk about all the time in my classes, because a lot of times when you are, when I'm teaching class, uh, there will be distractions teaching at Broadway dance center. There's always people like passing through the windows. Sometimes people try to film my class, which is a big no, no, don't try to film my class. If you want to, if you want to have some footage of my class, pay some money, come to class. I'm happy to help you out. Okay. But, uh, don't just like walk into, walk up to the window and film somebody's class or like things will happen. Like somebody will walk in the room and ask me a question and people get really distracted. So I tell the story to try to keep people from like, keep them focused. Um, so yeah, when I first joined Ballet X in Philadelphia, I was doing this really, really difficult pas de deux choreographed by Amy Seiwert, who's now the director of Sacramento Ballet. But yeah, so I, I choreographed this, sorry, I danced this very challenging eight minute pas de deux called Not a Cry to, uh, Hallelujah, Hallelujah by, uh, what's the version of it? Jeff. I can never, I'm so bad with remembering names, but I'm sure that half, half of you listeners know exactly who I'm talking about. So we did this pas de deux to Hallelujah and we did like six shows, seven shows, something like that. Um, and I did every show. It was exhausting. It was pretty much like dead lifting the entire time. Uh, but yeah, so this pas de deux, it was like very much about being in love with somebody, but there being like tension in your relationship. So there were some really like grabby, intense, like grab and pull into each other moments. Um, <laughs> and there was one show where the very first time that I went to go grab, I had to grab my, my partner. She was wearing underwear and like, uh, tank top but she was wearing a suit jacket and it was like almost and I was shirtless with like suit pants so the implicate implication was that she was wearing my suit jacket so she has it on and I grab the lapels like of the of the jacket and I pull her in quickly to me and when I pulled her in the first time I heard like a art in the audience and I was like that was really strange it really sounded like a dog um and then like a minute later when I had to do it again, it was worse. Like I pulled her in. I was like, I was like, okay, I'm pretty sure that I just heard a dog, but I'm like trying to stay in my, my mind, like try to keep this really hard, like intricate choreography. 
stay with it, Barry. And then like throughout the rest of the piece, any time that there was any even slight feeling of aggression towards towards my partner, the dog would bark. There was a dog in the audience. Uh, apparently there was like a guide dog or I don't know, like a one of those dogs that assists people um, with medical issues. And the dog felt that I was putting the woman in danger. So every time that I did that, the dog barked. <laughs> Imagine like how distracting it is. Like you're in a theater. The last thing you expect is for there to be a dog in a theater. So when you hear a bark, you don't automatically assume that it's a dog. Even though you recognize the sound, you, you just kind of go like, mm, no, this doesn't happen. But then before you know it, there's a dog barking loudly in a theater. It was strange. Um, but very memorable. And now I can use it when I teach. So there, there could be any type of distraction at any point while you're dancing and you just need to stay focused. There could be, I don't know, a tornado swirling around your studio, but you should still be in tondu or have your leg in your ear and devil pay and not even be distracted by it. Right. Okay. Um, oh, when I, I didn't realize I only danced with Houston Ballet for one year and I've got a handful. We did La Female Garde, Ashton's La Female Garde when I was with Houston Ballet. It was, uh, the last program of the season. And if anybody has seen it, there is a maypole at the end of the first act. And the, the dancers all have these long, long ribbons and they have to do this dance, like going through one another and then backwards and running around. And it's really intricate. And, uh, you look at it and it looks pretty easy, but it's really not easy at all. So not easy that tons of professional dancers, uh, had issues with it to the point where when we actually performed it, I think we messed it up like three times out of like eight to 10 performances. Um, so there was one show where something went like really awry. Somebody missed the hole and it threw the entire thing off and it got so bad. Like everybody's running around for quite a while. And as soon as we have to like really run around, it becomes very clear that the maypole is no longer like fully attached to the ground. And then even clearer that it is not going to stay upright anymore. So we're all like running around a circle wondering like, who's it going to fall on? What are we going to do? And the maypole crashes down in the the last scene of the first act. Um, but one senior core member, that's what those senior core members are for. They'd made an executive decision, no matter what the consequence was, uh, that they were just going to let go of their ribbon and they were going to run to the center and they were going to push that maypole back to the floor <laughs> thank god they did that because i honestly don't know what we would have done we probably would have had to bring the curtain down and we wouldn't have been able to finish the first act um but he ran over and he sat on that thing and he pushed it to the floor and he prevented disaster um and granted yeah the pattern was completely screwed up at least nobody got hurt and we could continue with the, the end of the act um so that was another mishap blooper mishap um, I never got to see that one on foot on film. I wish that I did. All right. I got, I got three more for y'all. Uh, Patty Barker. So I already talked about Patricia Barker, uh, the director of Royal New Zealand, Royal New Zealand ballet, not New Zealand, New Zealand. Um, this is a mishap. So we were performing symphony in three movements. One of my favorite, favorite, favorite Balanchine ballets. And I think it was Peter Bowles second year. And the company had just uh, 
procured, they just purchased new floors uh, from Harlequin. And these were not for the studios, these were for the stage. So our Marley, it was new Marley for the, for the stage. Um, so it was our, I, I talked about this recently. So you can go back in, into your, if you, if you already know this, you know, if not, you can go back and study it. When I talked about the full length ballets, the way that the rehearsals would, were set up, um, the first day that we would go into the theater, we would do spacing. Um, so we were having our first spacing rehearsal for symphony and three movements. And the, the very first section is, uh, all core ladies. It's this amazing moment. All the women are, there's like 16 women in Tondu back on a diagonal. And as soon as the music starts, they like, wind their arms up like propellers of a of a plane and things just go from there um so we're watching it and uh within like the first 30 seconds they have to stop because uh one of the girls women they they slip on their point shoe and they fall on the floor um so then they continue and somebody's like it's really slippery and then somebody else falls and then people are like hey it's really really slippery um people are starting to complain more women fall so it it ended up two two of the core women ended up getting hurt um one was like a tweak like a tweak of the ankle but the other one actually ended up dislocating her shoulder but they still didn't stop rehearsal they kept on going they just said oh, okay put her you go to physical therapy you uh get the you put the understudy in um because we have limited time there are multiple casts we have to use our time as effectively as possible so then there's a section where the women, they run in, like, there's a big outer circle running one way, there's an inner circle running the other way, and then Patricia Barker is doing PK turns between those two groups. And something happens, and she goes out. She, her feet go out from underneath her, she falls backwards, and she ends up getting, a, like, a bad concussion. Um, so... She falls down, rehearsal stops, and that was the reason that we stopped rehearsal, um, because Patty Barker had fallen and gone in concussion. At the by the end of those, it was like fifteen minutes of rehearsal. It wasn't like multiple hours. By the end of those fifteen minutes, nine nine women had fallen, uh, and three of them had gotten hurt. And then Patty, when she went to the doctor to get her concussion checked, um. They said that she was lucky that because she was she was known for having like beautiful long blonde hair like down to her rear end, um, and they said she was lucky that her her bun was so thick with hair because with the the intensity that she fell and the severity of her concussion, if she hadn't fallen on her bun, that she could have fractured her skull. Crazy, right? That's some crazy ish. Um, okay, what else do we got? This isn't really a blooper. It's not really even a mishap, but it's kind of hilarious. It wasn't funny at the time, but I think it's like, I don't know, this is kind of like a fun podcast, so I thought that it would be worthwhile to share it. Um, so I went way out of my comfort zone the first year that I left Pacific Northwest Ballet, and uh, while I was dancing with Ballet X, there were like gaps between our, our season, so I, um, I ended up dancing with a local modern company in Philadelphia that summer, and uh one of the pieces that we performed involved me uh, wearing only, I, I can't remember exactly if there was anything else, but it was like, oh, that's what it was. Fluorescent orange briefs. I had to put bells on my ankles. Like if you've ever seen like traditional Indian dance like that. Um, and then I had to carry symbols throughout the piece. It was like a modern dance piece that 
was also percussive and we like created the, like we actually had percussion instruments. Um, so yeah, like I was used to dancing at P and B where we would have like up to something like two to 3000 people in the audience. Every time that we performed like huge proscenium live orchestra audience is really excited, lots of support. Um, and not a piece that was, uh, like this. I'd never done anything like this in my life. Um, I remember when, when she, when the director told me that I was going to do that with like, we have to play the cymbals and wear bells on my ankles. I was like, really? All right. I mean, I was trying to stretch myself as an artist. So we were at the Mandel theater, which is uh, Drexel university's theater in Philadelphia uh, for the Philly French festival. We had two shows. I think we had two shows. We might've had three. Um, so I'm like, this is the first piece that we're performing and I'm like standing on stage trying to stay warm because I'm wearing practically nothing and it's summer. So the air conditioning is like blowing. Um, and so I take my place with my orange skivvies, my symbols in my hand and thinking like smile on face. Like it's okay that you're uncomfortable with this, uh, this, and it's like not your, your style and not really like a piece that you feel really, uh, excited to perform. I'm like, but I, I'm a performer. I'm, I have this smile and I'm going to give it my all. So I'm like smiling. They say like the music starts, the curtain comes start, slowly starts to, I think they opened up sideways. I don't think it came up. And as soon as it opens, I think I completely lost the smile on my face for a second. Then I quickly put it back on because it became very clear that out of the 400 plus seats at the Mandel Theater, that there were maybe 30 people in the audience tops. And I knew that three of them were in my family, my mom, my husband, and my mom's husband. Um, so, and I knew that like, at least most of those tickets were comped. Um, so it was like a real weird moment to be like going from two months prior, three months prior dancing with Pacific Northwest Ballet to like full theaters and then going to Ballet X, which I, I can't remember how many seats we had at the Wilma, but it was probably like 800 to 1,000, like sold out every single show. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, got the hiccups. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, then I go to this Mandel Theater, which is much smaller, and there's, like, crickets. Nobody there. So, yeah, I mean, I could call that a mishap. I I, I really, like, I had never broken character like that so quickly. Um, like, I, my reaction was just like, uh, what? Okay. Last one. So, we did the Nutty Nutcracker every year at P&B, and uh, <laughs> we would get lectures from the artistic staff every single time because they were so scared that we were going to do something so off the walls or offensive that the entire theater would want their money back. Um, we always did the Nutty Nutcracker on Christmas Eve because we had one show on Christmas Eve as opposed to two. And it was always an earlier show. We would do it at noon instead of 2 p.m. Um, the reason that the artistic staff wanted the show to remain retain its integrity was because it was Christmas Eve and a lot of people went there to get the Christmas spirit. But by this point, we were like in the fourth, fourth or yeah, usually the fourth week of Nutcracker and exhausted, probably like show number 30. So we just needed to do something to like let loose and sort of like ring in the, the, the holiday. Um, so yeah, crazy things would happen on stage all the time, like people would ski through the snow scene. There was always a snowball fight in the snow scene. The crew would 
get cardboard boxes and throw like tons and tons of snow in them and the women during snow during their entrances and exits they would throw their hands and grab fistfuls of snow and they would throw them at each other and then at the end they would just dump all of the snow above the the like up in the lighting that makes the beautiful like snow scene they would just dump the entire thing on the cast uh what are other things one year drosselmeyer played the dolls like they were uh like what do you call those remote control dolls um people would add bells people would add things to their costumes um but one of my favorite things that we did which i am happy to claim responsibility for was uh there there was an extra pot of trois in kent Stoll's nutcracker and unfortunately you won't be able to see it if you go there because they're doing the balance sheet's nutcracker but uh there is i believe footage of it from uh there was a dvd of it back in like the 90s or 80s um, there's a pot de trois that Kent Stoll added to his Nutcracker and it was like German, uh, is German opera music. And it was essentially foreshadowing of what was going to happen with Clara, the Nutcracker and the Mouse King. So there, the three dolls would hold masks in front of their face, kind of like a, a ball, like a masquerade party. And one was like, one was the Nutcracker, one was the Mouse King and the other one was like pretty Clara, and the story goes that the the Mouse King bites Clara's hand and it causes her to go ugly. So there's like a switch where it goes from like the pretty face, like the pretty mask, and then it switches to the ugly mask, um, and then they like run off stage. But uh, we decided. <laughs> That we would take, we had three ballet masters and mistresses, and then we had Peter Bolt, and the three of us that were dancing decided that we would take the the Nutcracker would be one of the ballet masters, the Mouse King would be one of the ballet masters, and the Clara would be the the ballet mistress, and we printed out their headshots like massive and put them on sticks to hold in front of our faces, and then when the Mouse King bit Clara's hand and it turned to the ugly face. We switched it from the ballet mistress to Peter Bolt. I mean, this was like all in good fun. We weren't trying to like make a statement or anything like that, but this was like one of those things where we knew that we were like really risking things. So none of us were, uh, none of us were in it after the first act. We all went and hid as like we we didn't run off stage and then like stand in the wings and like catch our breath we agreed we ran off the stage and ran all the way down into the basement into one of the back dressing rooms so that like nobody could stop us and talk to us <laughs> um that was fun <laughs> and all in good fun too but yeah so uh nutty nutcracker was always full of like on stage bloopers that was just like really really fun i i'm sure the company still does it and other companies do it so if you are curious uh if your local company does it you can call and ask if there's like a a fun performance of the nutcracker call them check it out all right <coughs> excuse me need a glass of water okay 
So I know that we spend years perfecting our technique and hours upon hours rehearsing the finest details of, of choreography, but that doesn't guarantee that things are always going to go according to plan. Some of the highlights of my career have been sharing the stage with my colleagues and getting to laugh about the crazy things that happen during live performances. I actually didn't have a ton of bloopers during my career, like I said, but I really enjoyed getting to be involved with colleagues who didn't take themselves so seriously that they couldn't laugh off a fall or some lost some forgotten choreography or an onstage mishap. So uh, one of my favorite accounts to follow on Instagram is Biscuit Ballerina. And one thing that she does on Fridays is she does Falling Fridays and she actually takes videos from professionals, from amateurs, anybody from any age. And she, she puts together a, a compilation every week of, of that. And I feel like... <laughs> we would have been very good friends if we danced together in, in a company because it seems like we have the same type of sense of humor. So um, if you want to see some of the stuff that I'm talking about, you should just go to her her account. I believe it's Biscuit Ballerina uh, on Instagram um, and, and check her stuff out. It makes me laugh. It keeps things light and it just it reminds us all in dance not to take ourselves too seriously. All right. That was a really good note to end on. I really like that. So that's the end, people. I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of How to Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorlis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerollis.com. You can also reach out on there if you'd like to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements. I hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me. If you enjoyed this chat, please feel free to share, rate, and review our podcast on iTunes. Every bit of extra visibility helps keep these podcasts running. And if this didn't fulfill your dance fix, check out my sister podcast on the Premier Dance Network. You can find that at premierdancenetwork.com. If you want to connect with me to see where I'm choreographing, teaching, and what I'm doing in my everyday life, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, where my name is B. Carolis, or Twitter at Bariscos. Also, be sure to subscribe to my blogs. I have Life of a Freelance Dancer at lifeofafreelancedancer.blogspot.com, and there I wrote about freelance, uh, working as a freelance artist and independent contractor for over five years. I also have Dancing Offstage, and you can find that at dancingoffstage.wordpress.com, and on there I talk about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. I also have a YouTube channel that features my choreography, and you can find that by going to youtube.com, going in the search bar, and typing in B. Carolis. Thanks for listening in to Pow to Chat. I hope you return two weeks from this Friday to talk dance with me, and remember to go out and support your local dance scene.